hello, I am your host, Karen Doyle, and welcome to The Genius Podcast. The Genius Podcast is part of a much bigger initiative for Catholic women called The Genius Project. The heart of The Genius Project is dedicated to equipping and supporting women of all ages and stages of life to discover what it is that God has placed within their hearts to do, giving them the permission to follow that God whisper and dream, and then equipping them with the knowledge and practical skills to make it happen. One of the core pillars of The Genius Project is supporting women in their vocation. We all have a universal vocation. This involves our universal call to love as God loves. After this, we have a primary vocation. This is how we choose to live out our universal call to love, either through marriage, consecrated life, or in single life. And finally, we have a secondary or an individual vocation, as Edith Stein teaches us. In this vocation, we are looking what is truly uniquely ours to bring, what it is that we as individuals are called to bring to life. In today's podcast, we are going to explore how, as women, we can grow in our primary vocation, specifically within marriage. This podcast is not just for married women. While in this podcast we're dealing specifically with marriage, a lot of these insights into understanding men and navigating relationships with men can be applied across the board to people we work with, our brothers, our fathers, and those men that we do life with on a regular basis. Walking with hundreds of women over the years and speaking at men's conferences on relationships and marriage, I have come to the conclusion that many individuals are poorly formed and when it comes to marriage and once they get married, too many couples are not supported in their vocation of marriage. One of my key sayings when speaking on this topic is to remind people of the need to create an atmosphere of love. An atmosphere in which both individuals can flourish. Today's genius guest is the wonderful Francine Parola. Francine has been a close friend of mine for the past 17 years and a true sister in the Lord. Along with her husband Byron, they have a number of ministries and apostolates, all geared toward the support and the formation of marriage and the family. Together they have over 40 years experience helping people build marriages which are emotionally, sexually and spiritually healthy. All of their work is deeply formed by the theology of the body and seeks to integrate Catholic theology with insights and frameworks from modern psychology and relationship theory. And this is what makes it immensely powerful. Through online courses, conferences and multimedia resources, Francine has helped thousands of couples prepare for marriage and work through the many trials that couples inevitably face. She is a regular speaker at the Sisterhood Catholic Women's Conference on topics relating to marriage, family planning and sexual intimacy. So whether you're married, you're preparing for married or you simply want to understand men, I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Francine. Today we're going to be talking about the topic of marriage and we're really exploring and unpacking in this series of the Genius Podcast. I guess living our genius and the genius of womanhood within our various vocations and dimensions of our life. And what I'd really love to talk to you about is how we do that specifically within the vocation of marriage. A lot of people know you and Byron for the work that you've done in marriage preparation, but can you just break down the online courses that you have available? Obviously, you do the marriage prep, but when you're talking about this breakthrough experience, 
you have marriage enrichment and the breakthrough experience? Like how many we different do. courses have you got, just so people are aware? Yeah, sure. We've, we've got an increasing um, suite of them. So there's the engaged course and then paired with that is what we call the sponsor course. So that's the same curriculum but just without all the time locks and assessments okay. and things that a married couple um, and every engaged couple gets a coupon code for a sponsor couple so they can invite um, somebody from their parish if they wish it's an optional uptake to get access to the sponsor course and then the two couples just do the course in parallel and get together to talk about it so that's the ideal context for an engaged couple preparation is they have a married couple accompany them to talk through the issues and and yeah track the course with them Uh, but it doesn't require that it's an optional thing we then have um, a fertility course yeah then we have the marriage kit, which is a, a marriage enrichment, um, just a basic, simple introductory course. We also have, we've just about to launch a little short workshop. There's a breakthrough and then there's another short workshop on um, theology of the body for couples. Fantastic. Um, wow. And we're working on a newlywed course, oh, which we'll be launching job. in another month. So that's so a, a comprehensive good. package. I love it. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, well, that's good. And I think that's what we need, isn't it? Like just a, a library and a hub where people know that they can go there to get resourced and to get help. Yeah, absolutely. And even though like all the courses are self-directed, so it's a classic online environment yeah. where you you log in, you, you, you purchase your course, you get instant access and off you go. Yeah. We do offer optional coaching. So if people want to book a single or a block of three coaching sessions, um, they can add that into the course. And at the moment I'm doing all of those coaching sessions. So we can I can meet with them at their convenience, usually by Skype or Google Hangouts or whatever they prefer or FaceTime, yeah. whatever works for them. And then we can um, I can take them through or explain things or they want to talk things through a little bit with a person outside of the relationship. They've got yeah. that option. And sometimes it's really helpful to do that. The, the other thing I wanted to come back to is when you said you were talking about sometimes we all have toxic periods or times that aren't great in our marriage where we can be at each other's throats. And I think that's a really important thing and maybe that's where we could launch into just discussing how we bring our genius as women to marriage because I remember think back to when Jonathan and I were first married. We've been married almost 19 years and I remember those first three months we hadn't lived together and we're quite strong people. So we tended to hit heads a little bit and Mm -hmm. I remember looking around at all the other couples thinking, oh, my goodness, they've all got like these perfect relationships, what's wrong with us? And I remember going to a New Year's Eve party and making a joke about some disagreement we'd had and all these other couples started sharing about their experience. Now, you would never have thought that they would have struggled in a particular area or that they would have argued or that they had some colossal fights. Remember one girl said she sat in the bath for six months wondering what she'd done. What I took away from that is that we don't talk enough about the reality of marriage. Mm-hmm. Like marriage mm-hmm. is often presented as this lovely happily ever after and everyone works towards the wedding day as if that's the culmination where actually yeah. the wedding day is only the beginning. And so when we're looking at marriage, I, th- I think for Jonathan and I, that conversation was really enlightening just to get an insight mm. into other people's lives. And we made yeah. the promise that we would never 
not that we, you know, you don't want to be airing all your dirty laundry to everybody. Yeah. But yeah. there would be a level of honesty and authenticity about our relationship. Mm-hmm. And so that people realized this is a normal part of life. Marriage comes yeah. with yes, all its joys and its highs, but it also comes with a lot of struggle. And once you add children and a mortgage and business and career and whatever else, throw in cancer or depression or financial trouble, like that's the point where you've really got to get about the job of building a love that's going to see you through a lifetime. And I think, you know, and as we have this discussion, I'm always conscious of the women that I walk with whose marriages are not healthy, whose husbands are actually quite toxic. So as we have this discussion, I guess need to say that what we're generally referring to is a generally healthy relationship because people, I guess, that are in toxic or abusive relationships, you don't apply the same rules because there's a different set of circumstances at play. Yeah. So yeah, look, we should we should unpack that a little bit, but firstly, yeah. just about your your earlier comment, totally agree. Is that we don't uh, again that balance between not sort of hang, letting everything hang out, but yeah. also in the right environment, being uh, really honest about what the reality of our relationships are like. Mm. In our marriage seminars, I think that is hands down some of the strongest feedback we get from couples. Okay. Is that oh my gosh, it's so good to know we're normal you know they've been struggling with these issues for years thinking that their relationship was doomed because pretty much everybody wants everybody there to celebrate the wedding but as soon as there's difficulty we close the doors and nobody sees anything until we make the announcement we're breaking up so the um that kind of I think there's a real call and a ministry amongst Catholic couples in um to actually take the leadership and being honest about their struggles and growth in that, yeah. in the context of obviously being respectful of their privacy, yes. and also um, uh, you know respectful towards each other, so that we're not running each other's down. Sometimes that kind of um, trying to get support or deal with our difficulties, and I've been certainly guilty of this. It can be a really um, dysfunctional wave yeah. of just blurting it out and, and and venting in a way that is disrespectful to Absolutely. I can, I can recall there's this one mother at school who will never listen to this podcast, so it's okay, but she would be on the playground just openly talking about some very big struggles that her husband had and how it impacts her. Yeah. I just, I would cringe. I was like, oh, it's just not the right place mm-hmm. to do this. Yeah. Um, but in the mm-hmm. right context, it's really important. And I think that whole idea of being mentored that we just expect that people will get married that they come from totally different families of origin they have totally different personalities they one might be an introvert one might be an extrovert they will have completely different ways of approaching everything in life from sex to money to communication to how they want to relax or who's going to raise the children yeah and we just expect that they're going to say I do and then live happily ever after and we forget that marriage takes a lot of work and so I'd love to talk with you because you know I know this is a real strength of yours just around the ways that we as women can I guess grow in our capacity as wives and that vocation to love Um, I know that when I speak at the men's conference we make a joke and 
I talk to them about understanding the heart of a woman, a woman, yeah. and we make the joke that it actually is possible because they look at me rather skeptically that yeah, yeah, it's possible yeah. to understand a woman's heart. <laughs> I say, well, they feel the same about you. But we've had a lot of fun unpacking it. But I often say to them that it's not so much our differences that are the problem as it is our perception of those differences. And I yes. think a lot of our problem comes in that we don't know how to come alongside one another in life in a yes, way that's yes. um, complementary but also we lose sight of the fact that marriage is not just a functional partnership, it's a vocation and a vocation yes. is a call and specifically it is the call to love as Christ loves. So yes. we, we're human so we're selfish and we get annoyed yes. and all of those things but yep. trying to keep that eternal perspective of like my marriage, this is like, the marriage relationship is the one that, you know, is the best analogy for how God pursues us as people and draws yes. us to himself, the bride and the bridegroom. And and so if we're not seeing God's love in marriage, like where are we going to see it in the world? And That's so right. I think as women, like it's not to say we have to do this because I know some women get their back up about, well, if you just did this or had more sex with him, he'd be happy. It's definitely not that conversation. But more yeah, what can yeah. we do? What can we bring? How can we grow in our capacity to love? So I guess, I don't know, in, in your work, what are the key areas? I guess let's start with the differences because these are the areas where people get really ticked off <laughs> and they and that's yeah, where sure. they get problems, this idea of not knowing how to come alongside one another. So yeah. what would you see as, I guess, maybe the top five differences between men and women and then we can maybe flesh out these topics so so we would kind of I guess advocate that the number one difference to appreciate is in the way that we experience love yeah because at the end of the day if we're feeling loved and connected to each other we can tolerate a whole lot of other deficiencies and yeah. basically when we look back to when we were dating and you know the we're in the love bubble and the hormones are going crazy and the neurotransmitters are firing and we're getting all that euphoria and limerence effect which is a lovely experience we were still very flawed imperfect people yes. but we tolerated it in each other we didn't kind of punish each other when we were late because we were just so happy to see him when he should yes. turn up and you can overlook <laughs> now, <those> things <laughs> that's right now when he's late I'm like curious with him <laughs> so, so there's it's a lot of the time is I, I guess remembering that if we're feeling loved and connected we can ride over a lot of those bumps mm -hmm. but we do experience love quite uniquely and there is some gender bias but even within those gender sort of broad gender differences or sexual differences there is a unique profile for every individual so one of the first things we teach couples in our courses is about the unique love profile and how to identify that and, and it really is taking a mentality to our relationship it's almost like an investigative reporter like yep. my job is to study you Byron and work out what it's specifically makes you feel loved and connected and valued and respected and if I can do that I can I can look for clues I can see what he responds to I can look for what he gives me feedback on so if he's you know expressing appreciation that tells me okay hit the mark there if there's no fee positive feedback I could probably say maybe that doesn't make so much of a difference but if I'm kind of turn my mindset towards my mission is to love you and to discover mm -hmm. the ways that are most effective and then to love you that way because the reality is is that we just assume 
that the other person experiences love the way we yeah. do. Yeah. And so we'll love by instinct and then get frustrated when it's not effective, when he rejects. So my classic example for me is that I feel loved when I'm, you know, troubled by something, if somebody just sits and listens to me and lets me yeah. talk and and so on. And so if Byron comes home from work and I can see he's distracted or whatever and I'll say, you know, do you want to talk about it? You know, you look like you're worried about something, do you want to talk about it? His answer is almost always, no, I'm okay. Yeah. Um, but I never accept that, right? Then I'm, No, of course. I wheel course. around. Five <laughs> minutes later I'm wheeling around for another attempt and <laughs> it's not going to break through because it's not how he feels loved. He feels more loved if I just say, let me give you some space. You look like you need some thinking time. Yes, which is totally the opposite to us because we want them to move in and give us a hug in that moment. That's it. Exactly right. So then when we pursue them to do the same, they feel smothered and get really annoyed. Exactly, exactly. So that's part of the mission, I think, is to learn um, their unique love profile and to love them that way. And we call that framework smart loving. And it's yes. sort of pretty self-explanatory. It's sort of yes. it's smart because you're not burning energy doing things that are not going to make a difference. And therefore, because that that you can build resentment around that, you know, oh, do all this work trying to show you that I love you and nothing seems to make an impact. Well, instead of blaming him for that, take a look at ourselves and say, Am I doing the wrong sort of things? Am I loving out of instinct rather than loving out of intention? And I think that's and, so true. And I think the other thing is like I know for us say after we've been married 10 years you know you you criticize each other or you know you might say something to the other person and you interpret it as criticism and the one thing I've learned which has been really helpful is instead of being um, hurt by the criticism to go okay what is underneath this complaint like what is yes he trying to communicate to me because yes it might not come across and, and I certainly might not come across that way to Jonathan it might appear that I'm criticizing him but underneath all our criticisms is a complaint or an area that we're dissatisfied with so I think one thing that we can do as women is really and and our husbands too to step back and have a look at what is the complaint and how can I respond is it fair how can I adjust to really love you which is what you're saying yes yes there's two sides to that is how do we make a a respectful request yes. for a change in behaviour and how do we receive it? Because we'll always do it, even when you've got the theory, we'll still do it clumsily because we'll be emotionally charged and we'll be often reacting out of irritation. So um, so proactively, he's doing something that's annoying us. How do you make a respectful request? I think the first thing is to not just blurt it out, is to take a bit of space to think about it and get in touch with, um, there's always, I guess, a, a what we psychologists and us call the harsh feelings and the softer feelings. Mm-hmm. And the harsh feelings are things like irritation, frustration, anger, um, that kind of thing. They're in some ways a, a conditioned response. They're a defence mechanism. Mm-hmm. If you can put that aside and go a little bit deeper, you'll find there's softer feelings like I'm feeling hurt, I'm feeling lonely, I'm feeling inadequate. Yeah. I'm feeling, um, you know, undermined and and disempowered. So if you can get in touch with the softer feelings and yes. own those, yeah. then when we start the conversation, it can be, I guess, a more rational kind of conversation that goes along the lines of, look, when you do X, Y, Z, the impact it has on me is that I feel like this. I yes. might react angrily towards you, 
But when I think about it, what I'm really feeling is I'm feeling really alone and unsupported in that. What would really help me is if when this situation comes up, if you did this instead of that. So I've given him, I'm not blaming him. I'm not sort of saying you're a terrible, I'm not judging him, saying you're a terrible person. Um, I'm actually owning my reaction to it. Um, and being really honest and authentic about what's really happening to me. And then I'm giving him a, a, a solution. I, Absolutely. I mean, most husbands will go, oh, easy. You Thank you. Because <laughs> I Done. think uh, you know? we are so guilty of expecting them to be mind readers and having a little salt yes. when they don't get it. And they yeah. just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And instead of saying, that's a hey, you pig, do you think you could pick up your clothes occasionally? <laughs> Right, the contempt in that just puts him on the defensive. Absolutely. He's not sure what you, you know, like there's no context, there's no specific instance that we're referring to. That's just destructive all around. So if we can kind of, you know, take that on, take on a situation like that, if that happens to be your circumstance or whatever it is, reflect on it, connect with those softer feelings and so that we're discharging the immediate defensive reactionary anger. Yeah. And then um, yeah. and then take that into the relationship. That's actually a, a, an intimacy builder. That's the kind of thing that's net positive experience where mm. he will probably spontaneously say, oh, my darling, I'm so sorry, I had no idea. Um, I would be very happy to do that. That's more likely his response compared to, yes. a, you know, triggering a defence reaction. In him. Absolutely. And I think that leads us into this whole idea of respect. So, you know, you're talking about, I guess, love and how we experience love differently and I guess yeah. those, there's some top areas where we are actually really different <laughs> like a couple come to mind one's communication respect yes. sex um you know yep. the power of the tongue these are the kinds of things where I think my experience has been women I really appreciate I guess those insights into men what makes them tick and yes. what, what, what do they need what do they actually want in relationship, what's helpful. So I guess why don't we start with communication because this is a big one. You, yes, you touched yeah, on yeah. it. But in terms of, I guess, your work in this area and I guess our own marriages, how are we different? How do men and women experience communication differently? Yeah. We um, we use the word communication a lot, but I actually prefer to use the word connection because mm. connection has that sense. It's a little bit broader. Yeah. And communication tends to make us think about the words and the verbal True. kind of dimension. And as we know, communica- I mean, we talk about nonverbal communication as everything that's not verbal, which includes body language and physical gestures and touch and, um, and, and actions of service and things like that. Um, so it sort of covers it, but it, it, it's sort of in contrast to, like it's a sort of a negative, de- when you say nonverbal communication, it's a negative definition. It's a definition yes. of differentiation from verbal communication so I I kind of think and connection is a little bit more of a no at the end of the day that's what we're trying to achieve we want to feel close and connected to each other and I guess communion might be a a kind of a more slightly religious term but um and that kind of just broadens it a little bit and I think in our observations in the work we find this sort of resonates with people is that women will have rely on sort of intimate verbal conversation as their primary means for establishing a sense of connection with another person. Yes. Whereas men um, don't rely primarily on intimate conversation. They'll, they'll use conversation more pragmatically 
Yeah. Um, it's like it'll, they still talk a lot. It's not about how many words they say. There are a lot of men that do a lot of talking, but they're organising, they're establishing yes. um, data transfer, um, they're you know, establishing their leadership in a situation or whatever. Yes. They're using communication not so much to establish intimacy but to manage and organise a situation. Yes. Yeah. For intimacy, I think they're more likely to express that through acts of service, physical contact, including sex, sex and lovemaking. Yeah. That's they're more of their primary way that they'll feel really connected, particularly when we're talking about the marriage relationship. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I think we often see men gravitating into sports that involve a lot of physical contact, like, you know, t- um, you know, tackle football and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's, it's that physical contact is actually a really important part of bonding. Yeah, yeah. Men. Um, it's not to say women, we give each other hugs and hold each other's hands and pat each other on the back and, you know, yeah. cry with each other and so on. So it's not that physical contact's not important to us, but it's, I guess, it's more a difference of emphasis. So we like to make the analogy sure. of being right and left-handed. You know, we've all got a dominant hand. In my yeah. case, it's my right hand. It doesn't mean my left hand's irrelevant. I need both hands to carry a box or to do up a shoelace. Yes. But if I'm going to do something that requires dexterity, my right hand is dominant, so that's the one I rely on more. Yeah. And so it's a little, I think if we take that kind of mentality to it, it's sort of like a dominance rather than an exclusive mm. thing. Yep. That's, yep. that's yep. helpful to appreciate that because what it does is that it then opens up this framework that we call desire discrepancy, which is where we get a lot of hurt in it. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but just, just, just no, a bit of a role. Please, go um, for it. <laughs> it's great. So, so when, you, when you've got these differences in the way that we connect, it automatically puts one of us into a situation of a high desire um, spouse into a situation of inferiority to the other. So in the case of intimate conversation, I have a higher need and a higher desire for that than Byron. So therefore, he's the gatekeeper on it. He doesn't need it as much. So he controls how much intimate conversation happens in our relationship. Mm. It's not intentional. He doesn't seek to um, assert that as a, you know, in itself. It's just the nature of it because I need it more. I'm more dependent on it. It makes me vulnerable to that equally for him. He requires, he, he's more dependent on the physical touch and the sexual yeah. expression in our relationship. I don't require it as much. I've got lower testosterone levels. Yeah. Therefore, it tends to, I have the control over that aspect of our relationship. Hmm. And so for Catholic couples particularly, or Christian couples, I think what we're really called to is to recognise that that imbalance is there but then to be proactive as the low-desire spouse in each of those situations in surrendering our control. And that means being proactive. So for Byron, it means initiating intimate conversations, looking for the cues for me when I'm indicating that I want to talk more and being receptive and encouraging that. For me, that means being proactive in initiating lovemaking and being responsive to his touch so that I'm honouring that fact you know, he, this desire that he has and he's honouring the desires that I have for communion yeah. and intimacy. And, and I think that one, it's so true, that one of just hone in on the topic of sex because everyone's interested in sex, mm. right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. that one's a big one because I think people, uh, some of the women that I walk alongside find that um, 
for whatever reason, a really challenging area and they don't understand yeah. it and they can think that their husbands, uh, I don't know, I've actually sadly heard one lady describe it as, you know, this animalistic desire, which is really sad because uh, it's it's given to us by God to draw us together. It's a beautiful yeah. Um, but I guess it's not so much just about a physical release or expression. It's really an emotional need. So I think it is making that distinction for women, I think is really, really important, especially yeah. younger women who are going into marriage, who might be discerning that or newly married to understand that sexual intimacy isn't just a physical thing or event. Yeah. It's a deep emotional need, isn't it? Like it builds Absolutely. their self-esteem, it makes them feel connected. Yes, absolutely. And it's really reframing because we, the culture tells us that sex is just an activity. It's something we yeah. do for fun. It's an it. We talk about doing it. It's recreational, therefore we both should be enjoying it. It's all about the pleasure outcomes and so on. Yeah. Whereas the church really calls us to approach sex very differently, to think about it as a communication, as a way of connection, of bringing about communion. And, in fact, if you go more deeply into the theology of the body, the lovemaking is actually this, is sacramental. It's the sacramental Absolutely. gesture that validates the vows we make on our wedding day. Yes. And so it's, it's actually when you get into that mindset, lovemaking is as important as, it, um, as I, go, I guess for Catholics, it's as important as going to communion. Yeah. You know, and go to mass. Is wow, you're putting it up of, there. <laughs> That's right oh, up yeah. there. <laughs> well, if your vocation, if you've got a vocation to match from, I can just hear. Sorry, I can just hear all the, their men going. Thank you, Francine. <laughs> happy, happy to, happy to take the praise. But that is the call to it. I mean, I mean, we know that. I mean, even in secular society, if the marriage isn't consummated. It's legally not a valid marriage. Yeah. That's always been the case, quite apart from what the you know the Catholic Church has taught. But it's actually also true in the Catholic. It's true in the Catholic Church as well that if marriage is never consummated, it's it's considered invalid. Mm. And so, um, sex is an in, in central to the expression of marriage. We sort of know that, but then I think because we've just got this overlay of this hyper eroticized culture, culture pornified yeah. culture that's yeah. telling us all the time that sex is just this, you know, getting your real rocks off of what I don't want to use crude language, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's what it's done is it's it's actually it hasn't it's desanctified lovemaking. It's debased it. And so it's really hard when you're in that culture to then be rem remember that actually no lovemaking yeah. is 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 central to our spiritual connection as a couple. Absolutely, and part and of our vocational call. Absolutely, and that's what I was talking about. This eternal perspective, like bringing, mm -hmm. like heaven isn't this um, pie in the sky idea. Like you know, we can bring a bit of heaven to earth right here and now. Like we're called to bear yep. Christ's image right here and now, mm -hmm. wherever we are planted. So, you know, to our husbands, our children in our workplace. And this is one of the ways that yep. we do that. So I think it's so important for us as women to just be coming before the Lord and really maintaining that eternal perspective. And Yes. And so agree. Yeah. So agree that we've lost that eternal perspective, I think, in our yes. culture. We, we don't get the... I'm not suggesting we go back to the old fire and brimstone sermons where we get threatened with eternal damnation <laughs> if we don't um, follow the rules. Yes. But I think we have lost that sense of there's an eternal goal here. This is not just about 
my happiness here in this mm. life. It's kind of like our her, her happiness horizon has shrunk down to am I happy right here, right now? And my if I'm needs. not happy now, right. my needs, my happiness is my right and I'm going to yes. pursue that at all costs. Yeah. And so it's a devaluing of the of the of the spiritual benefits and value of forbearance and suffering and so on, which is really big part of, I guess, the Christian tradition of being able to transform suffering into a, um, a I guess, towards spiritual goals. And we know that the Lord allows suffering in our lives. He's not punishing us, but suffering is one of the ways that we mature and become holier. And so part of this applies in marriage. One of the things that we find really resonates with couples, we um, we look at arguments and, and difficulties in a marriage and people yeah. kind of, we, we approach those as their problems and this, we kind of try to like to reframe and say, look, anytime you've got friction in your relationship, that's a growing pain. That's an mm. invitation into yes. growth. Don't kind of try and, I'm not saying don't go looking for them, like don't try and pick fights. <laughs> not a good idea. But, but recognise that when you've got differences and you're experiencing tension and trouble, that that's an invitation to become a better person, to grow in virtue individually. To, to Yeah. And if you kind of take that approach, you then start to appreciate, yeah, marriage is a pathway to holiness mm-hmm. and you're not going to get holier if it's all smooth sailing and you're all perfectly compatible and there's no differences and there's never any arguments. That's not a growth institution. That's just mm-hmm. a kind of a stagnation. Yes, <laughs> and so- I, that's another thing. I think people forget that marriage is actually an evolution it's not like yes. a it's it's not like an event that happens and that's what you stay in for the rest of your life like it's mm-hmm. a it's a never ending evolution because we're constantly yes. evolving as people like who i was 20 years ago is not who i am now same for jonathan and and yeah. things that you know say whatever wounds or things that we brought into marriage we had no way of understanding those back then but yeah. over the years i think the key um, in marriage particularly, is to grow together and to yes. be evolving together. And I do see this a lot that when people run into problems, it's because it's, there's not a reciprocity, a receptivity to growth, to yes. evolving and to doing that process together. I think yeah, that's, so that's a real key in, in building yeah. a healthy marriage and a godly marriage is to realise that marriage is an evolution and that we have to go together, we have to grow together through. Yeah. And, if, and, in fact, look, we've done talks on that. We, we've actually borrowed the idea from um, Dr John Van Epp in the United States, a Christian okay. marriage educator. But he talks, he does a lot of work with singles that are on, in the rebound around how not to get into another toxic relationship. And he'll, he, he does a great little workshop, which I think is really helpful, where he points out that, you know, we've got all these, what are the qualities you want in a marriage partner? Thinking, thinking about, you know, the future father or mother of your children, not just somebody to go yes. on a date with, but, you know, long-term thinking, building a life with. And, you know, people come up with things like um, we want honesty, we want somebody with a work ethic, somebody who's going to be faithful, who's got a sense of humour and so on, all good things, no, no debate about those. But the then sort of challenges people to say, well, where are you on those? And none yeah. of us are going to be perfect. We're all works in progress. So the key quality that you're looking for is not that somebody is super honest or super patient or whatever it is. You actually want somebody who's open to growth. Mm-hmm. And the deal breaker um, is if you're dating somebody and there's no evidence that they're prepared to grow and change, that's, a to- that's going to be a you problem in a relationship. You want Absolutely. to get out of there quick. Yeah. 
Yeah. He calls it a persistent resistance to change, which is a bit of a okay. mouthful. So I, I kind like of do that. it in the positive and say the key quality you want is an openness to growth. Yes. Because if we're open to growth, any shortcomings or deficiencies that we have, there's hope that that will That's in right. time be addressed. Yeah. But if I'm kind of completely closed and you're always the problem, I'm perfect, um, yes. classic kind of narcissistic, I guess, yeah. personality, victim mentality, whatever, everybody else is always at fault. That's really hard to live with because there's no... And you can't go anywhere with that, can you? Like it's just a bit of a dead end, but... Yeah, it's it's tricky. My gosh, there's so many topics just here to talk about. I'm conscious of time too. Like probably in the next five minutes as we sort of wrap up, just give me a couple of, I guess, pearls of wisdom that you could offer to women around, I guess, the area, particularly, say, respect, um, affirmation, those kinds yeah. of areas about how we can really grow. Yeah. Yeah. Respect is um, is really important for men. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that we, I guess, the, the way we think of it is that we kind of say, look, there's two rough ways that people experience love. One is through cherishment and the other is through respect. Women primarily experience love through cherishment and and men through respect. And St Paul in his letter to the Ephesians was picking that up. He talked about love, but if you look at the definition of love as he gave it, it's actually a dictionary definition of cherishment. Um, You know, keeps a memory in mind, um, cares for tenderly, treats as a sort of a treasure, as something's very precious and valuable. These are kinds of definitions you get when you cherish something. Those are the sorts of things that you think about them often and you you protect them and so on. That's, I kind of hear those definitions. So, oh, yes, that's how I want to be loved. <laughs> I'll mm. more of that. Yes. <laughs> Respect coming from the you know, Latin roots or the Greek roots of, of the spectacles to see um, mm. speaks more around bringing, I guess, a, a, an attitude of seeing the goodness in the person even though the external behaviour might be somewhat contradictory, being prepared to see them with the eyes that God sees them, the internal goodness that might be struggling to be to be visible, um, bringing with it that sense of, um, of honouring the other person. So men respond really strongly to admiration, mm. um, to... Um, I guess Byron will often, often it's the absence of respect or the yes. absence of cherishment that is more pointed than the actual doing it. Yes. So if I disrespect Byron, that wounds him deeply rather than, um, and, and I do that through criticism, yeah. through particularly he'll say it's when something goes wrong and he accepts that he messes up and things go wrong, but it's the assumption that he had a malicious intention. Yes. So it's the judgment of his intention that really cuts. Because he says, I know I make mistakes. I never do it intentionally. I would never intentionally try to hurt you. No. So then I draw the conclusion, this went wrong. He's a dickhead. He doesn't care about me or whatever it is. Yeah. That's really wounding to him. Yes. So I guess suspending judgment as women, um, expressing our admiration. Sometimes we think it, but we don't really say it. So I think getting into the habit of praising our husbands, particularly praising him in front of others, yes. Um, yes. is is really valuable. He he, I see Byron respond physically sometimes when I'm, um, you know, talking about how proud I am of him and what he's accomplished um, yeah. in front of his family or his some of his work colleagues or so on. I can see, I can physically detect changes in his posture. He might not even be aware of it himself, but that's kind of really yes. quite effective, I think. 
Yeah, we've we've um, got a beautiful um our closest friends, the wife particularly. I think one of the signature things about her, which most people who would meet her would say, is that she is constantly affirming her husband. It's actually it's yeah. really beautiful. Like it's a habit that she's growing in. Yes. And and yeah. I think this is it. Like when we're talking about That's this, good thing, habit. it doesn't come naturally. And sometimes we have to lean in and apply ourselves and learn and be really intentional about practicing it so that it mm. becomes a habit in our life. Absolutely. And and that's part of having an intentional marriage is you can't do everything at once. So just pick that off as one, one thing. thing. So, you know, that's for the month of whatever it is, I'm going to make a point of praising my husband every day. Yeah. And that whole, that, that kind of mindset shift of applying that discipline eventually becomes ingrained in second nature, just like yeah. cleaning your teeth or Absolutely. any other habit. You have to kind of make a dedicated effort and try, don't try and do too much at once. Just No, I think we get know. overwhelmed, don't we? So I, I We do. That's a really good point. I think yeah. sort of, I guess, in doing these genius podcasts, we wrap up by looking at, I, I guess, an action plan or how can you put into practice, I guess, some of the things yeah. that we're talking about. And I think that's a really good piece of advice is choose is. one area. Daily like, appreciation. Yeah, it's a great yeah. one. Just to really mm. think about one thing that you could do this week um, or grow in in terms of loving your husband. I know for myself, this is the area I'm growing in at the moment is I yeah. was an eldest child and I tend to over, like I function at a high level. So I have a huge, I'm quite resilient emotionally. So last year when Jonathan had his accident, I basically had to do everything. And then early this year, as he started to heal and he was able to do more, I was still operating as if he had you know both his wrists broken was in plaster and where I had to do everything and it was yeah. interesting how he just felt disempowered in little ways by that and it was nothing yeah. malicious on my part it was just well I ran the kids to school and I did the business I even had to bath him and drive him everywhere. <laughs> so it was everything yeah. and it, yeah. so for myself I've had to be really intentional about taking a step back and just letting him go with things like for instance, yeah. he wants to build a wall in our living room at the moment. I was like, oh, I don't think you should do that. <laughs> Worried around <laughs> his hands. Or I'm like, I'm not sure that will look that good. But anyway, my intentionality has been to go, okay, if it looks absolutely crap, then we'll take it down. But I'm sure it'll yeah. look good. But just to, I guess, give some power and respect Based. back to him. So that's my yeah. area of growing at the moment is just to, yeah. to really. Oh, that's good. Because I think as. Once we have children too, we tend to hyperfunction mm -hmm. because we have to carry a lot as wives and mothers. Yes, yeah. But, and so I think true. sometimes our husbands can feel like another child. So, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's and that's awesome. that's that's a classic dynamic is that because we feel unsupported in a particular area where it's caring for the children or the, the home maintenance or whatever it is, um, we we slip into that over responsibility drive, yeah. and we don't realise we're pushing and shutting out the other person that yes. even if they wanted to be involved sometimes they can have a measure of indifference and irresponsibility and sort of absenteeism as well that yeah. drives it but we don't create an environment that's conducive to them coming in and it's it's you know it seems like if you're wanting to be involved you've got to be prepared to let him choose what the kids are going to wear and maybe I he's know. going to put stripes with polka dots Spoil polka you know? dots <laughs> Well, it's you know, same thing. You're like, go, oh, I'm embarrassed this is not good, but I'm going to bite my tongue. 
absolutely yep because it's same thing like second week of school Jonathan wanted to take the kids down the coast and I was like oh it's cold they'll get a cold at second week back they really should have a rest and I was like Karen if he wants to have time with his kids who are you to be stopping that like that's nuts like there's so many dads who are not involved in their kids lives and so Olivia and I stayed at home and had a nice time and the other two went off with Jonathan (laughs) and they just had the best time and it's like empowering them as well like yeah so they're good lessons for us all aren't they they are they are and I guess there's um I guess the image for me that I'm trying to work with at the moment is holding things lightly is it's I think my growth area for this year is really taking on board that I don't have to control the outcomes of everything that I can bring effort and investment and bring all my gifts and and care into a situation but to hold it lightly so a bit of that kind of detachment from the outcome so that I'm not as as intense and um and also not as emotionally overwrought when things don't go quite the way I want so it's it's really that's my thing I think is to just hold things lightly and I I need to do that with our relationship a little bit as well and buy and be in the relationship without me trying to control how he participates or or over defining what I want him to be in this relationship just sort of letting him have some freedom around expressing um his love and himself in our relationship yeah that's so yeah mm. it's it's such a journey I know that Jonathan I've been so grateful for yours and Byron's witness and friendship in our life and our marriage it's been likewise so yeah and we're just so grateful your you know your ministry and the ministry to people who are married is just such a gift it's incredible and I hope that people listening to this can really benefit and and get involved. I just I wanted to finish off with a quote from um, John Paul II, and it's one that I really love, and it sort of brings all of this together. And he says, you know, at every moment of history, life will depend on who she will be for him and on who he will be for her. And I think that's yeah. it. Just as we take this away, there are areas where our husbands yep. fail us. There are areas where some men are really toxic in their marriages. Um, Mm -hmm. and and in terms of just bringing it back to those healthy relationships because talking about unhealthy ones is a whole different podcast which we'll do as well but we can do that happy to do that later yeah that'd be great but just the generally healthy relationships I guess leaving women with the question who will you be for him yeah I think that's beautiful well I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Francine If you would like to know more about their resources, please visit their website, www.marriageresourcecentre.org. And if you are interested in resources to help form young people in the crucial area of sexuality and relationships education, please go and check out the vast array of resources that we have on offer through my husband and my company, Choices Media www.choices, which is C-H-O-I-C-E-Z.com.au. These resources are for schools, youth ministers and parents to help them teach the tough topics of human sexuality and relationships, but through a Catholic lens. The final thing that I'd like to share with you is an exciting new online course called Recovery for Her. Recovery for Her is a six-week online course specifically for women whose lives have been impacted by a partner's sexual infidelity or sexual addiction. If you are interested in this course, please email me at kd at 
C-H-O-I-C-E-Z.com.au. Over the next month, we've got some incredible guests lined up for you, so I know that you won't want to miss them. If you like what you've heard on the podcast, please share the link with your friends and leave a review on the podcast platform. It helps to get the word out there. Until next week, have a beautiful week and God bless you.